I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron-specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month, and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, guys. Welcome. So today, I want to hit a couple of topics. One is hoarding toys. This is happening. It's funny how my work works. I will not hear of an issue at all. And then all of a sudden an issue will happen with one family I'm working with. And then all of a sudden it's like all I hear about. And so we want to talk about hoarding toys, like in front of other kids, like grabbing all the toys. These are mine. You can't have them. And then I want to talk about capacity. All right, hoarding toys. <laughs> so this looks like a child who doesn't want to necessarily play with the toys, but will be out either with a sibling or with friends or out and about, like at a playground or a children's museum or something like that. And the child has the propensity to grab all the toys and then not share them, not even necessarily want to play with them. But it's like, a, these are mine. So whenever we look at sort of hoarding behavior or, you know, that collecting or this happens sometimes with not just toys, but like stuff or food. Sometimes it happens with food. I'll, I'll hear, you know, I'll be working with a family and I'll hear of kids who are, you know, sneaking candy whenever they get a shot, you know, like Easter, Halloween, whatever. And like the parents will find a stash of candy in the closet or under the bed or something like that. So whenever we look at when a child is hoarding, we want to look at scarcity. Is there a reason that the child feels like there's scarcity? So when we look at the habit of hoarding toys, not even to play with, is we want to look at where is the scarcity? So in a lot of situations, there might be a new sibling. And I think this is coming up because if your child is three or four, they were in lockdown. Like we have to look at the trajectory of the pandemic, right? So they had you, because what I'm also seeing is a hoarding of their baby stuff. So with toys, was it the first child's and then a sibling came along and all of a sudden, They have to share their toys, but I'm also seeing it. And like, that's my high chair. That's my crib. You know, all the things that get handed down as hand-me-downs, they were the older child's first, and now they're the, the new sibling. 
And for a lot of these kids that I'm working with, the older child is three, three and a half, maybe four. And the sibling is maybe seven months, you know, seven to 10 months. And so one of the things that's happening is the child had just the parents during lockdown, right? Like that was their life. And now they're struggling to be social. They're struggling with a sibling. They're struggling with like, I have to share everything now when everything, remember, everything was really locked down. I think it's it's even hard for us maybe to imagine how crazy March of 2020 was, right? And I remember in this work I was doing with parents, it was like everybody was collectively losing their minds because we were literally stuck home with our kids and not stuck like for the kids loved it. Right. For us, though, it was like how to manage work and all these things and not be able to get out of the house and, and expel energy and be social and all those things. So I do think some of this is a result of that. We did lose social skills and the kids lost social skills because their formative, their first two years of life for some of your kids, depending on their age, was in lockdown, was just with parents. And regardless, you know, one of the reasons I'm so firm about not necessarily being your child's playmate all the time is because we play differently. Kids are brutal, man. Like we will let the kids have things mostly because we're not interested in whatever, not interested in your fire truck, but another three-year-old is. So we have to kind of take into consideration that the kids lost some social skills and they had everything. I mean, just think back, think back of the last two years, especially that first year of lockdown, kids had everything they wanted. They were home, they had all their toys, they didn't have to share. Even if you potted up with a, another family, you didn't have to share a great deal. So I do think some of this behavior is coming from that. And it's something to just be aware of and to have a little more grace and patience because it has it really has affected our kids. And I think it's no surprise that all of a sudden I'm seeing this behavior in so many kids. Another thing is, again, with the siblings, was it the child's to begin with? So I think kids are just having a really hard time handing things down. So you want to be sure there's kind of groups of toys. And I have said this in different ways in other podcasts, but you want to make sure that your older child has leveled up in their toys. So if they have been playing with toys and now those toys are appropriate for the sibling to play with, the older child has probably aged out of them a little, even though they will want them because the sibling has them, make sure that they are engaged. And we really have to watch that because we tend to play to the the younger child and their needs because, of course, they need more supervision. You know, they have um, more choking hazards, those kinds of things. But then we kind of leave the older child in the dust. At this point in time, if you are struggling with this, check in and your older child needs a space that is theirs. Now, I recognize that not everybody has the house set up for each child to have their own room, but there has to be a space for the older child that is not community. And that is where the child's toys can be. And a lot of times what happens is we don't level up toys because of the sibling and the sibling is younger. So let's take something easy and recognizable, Legos, right? We don't keep Legos out and about because the sibling could get into them where the younger child will get into them and potentially choke or wreck things, right? So the older child needs a space and you can carve that out, maybe put a baby gate around it. If it's not a room, 
you know, you can carve a portion of the space so that the older child feels like they do have their space that is not wrecked with the younger child, you know, coming in and knocking down the tower or the Lego creation or the Barbie house or whatever it is that the child's got going on. Because I do think that's a huge thing is the older child went from all mine, my space, my parents, my house, my things to holy shit. Now I have to share. I have this sibling. And remember, siblings are a pain in the ass, man. They come along and they're just, they're needy. Like it's take it from the child's point of view, right? This like new baby comes home and gets all the love, all the attention, has no skills, wrecks all my things. And so it is a big shift. So that's one reason that your child might be hoarding the toys. Another reason may be you literally have too many toys. So if your child is showing this behavior, cut everything way down. Remember the rule of thumb for getting rid of toys. You can go back to Condo Kids, which is my very first episode of the podcast. <laughs> and that's um that was season one, which is available like on Spotify and iTunes. It's not a, here on Patreon. But you know, take all your toys and put them in the middle of the living room. Cut those toys in half and you are going to get rid of half of those toys, yeah? The next half you have, you cut that into quarters and a quarter goes into hiding so that it can be in rotation and the next quarter stays out in the house. So you have to get rid of so many toys. And one of the things that I find is a huge issue in trying to ditch toys is that they fill space. And I do think that many people are afraid of having a sparse looking home or you have a home that is too big for you. Especially here in America, we're addicted to space, like big space, lots of space, but you have to fill that space. And when you fill that space with stuff, that stuff, it may not be clutter. It may not look overwhelming. It may be super well-organized. When I work with a family, I have them send me pictures beautifully organized, but it's still too much shit. And your kid can take the shit out. And of course, like if you have beautiful baskets for all the doll clothes and all the, you know, accoutrements that go with all these toys, that's a bin that can be dumped out on the floor that you're going to have to clean up. So I do think there's a problem with, generally speaking, we have too much space. Now I can tell you living in a 600 square foot house in the middle of the woods, that 600 square feet is too small a space. <laughs> I'm actually having an addition built, <laughs> but somewhere in between, you know, 3,200 square feet and 600 square feet, I'm sure there's a happy zone for you and your family, <laughs> but that is just something to be cautious of. And, and, a lot of parents will say, well, then there's nothing in the room. Like um, people come over and I have nothing in my house. So you have to be cautious of like your own tendency. Like, are you setting up your house for other people? Are you setting up your house for an aesthetic, but it's still a pain in the ass because your kid is hoarding the toys or dumping them out, not playing with everything. And you're just having to clean a big mess or fight with your child about the hoarding. So that is another thing that makes hoarding worse is too much stuff. Is there a sense, especially when it's with other kids, you know, there's kind of two distinct things here is like the child who hoards with a sibling at home. And then there's the child who hoards out and about with friends or other kids in these other settings, like a park or a museum or something like that. And then there's the kid for whom it's both. But when it's out and about, is there a sense that the child needs to be in control? Do they have some social anxiety? 
I think social anxiety is another thing that a lot of people have that they're unaware of. So like one thing that really comes up is like maybe people who like have to drink to go out to a party. Like, you know, that you have social anxiety, right? I just realized I have social anxiety when there's big crowds going out to eat, right? Like I get super stressed about I'm going to kind of get stuck at the end of the table between two people that aren't my favorite. Is everybody going to put in enough money for the bills? So I have like that kind of social anxiety. But for our kids, again, remember, they had a very quiet, very small life for the last couple of years. And now they're being put back into daycare, preschool. And more and more and more, we get back to like, quote unquote, regular life, right? And so their nervous systems, though, had a longer time at a slow, smaller pace. And so is there a sense of social anxiety and that hoarding behavior puts them in control? So that is definitely something I would look at and I would start paying attention to, wow, it seems to happen. My kid does really well when one or two friends are over, but as soon as we tip the scale into three or four, all of a sudden the hoarding behavior comes into play. So it's just something you want to be aware of. Even as I'm talking through this with you guys right in this second, I'm like, wow, I kind of wasn't giving enough attention to the fact of like your average three or four-year-old spent a good portion of their life in lockdown. I mean, I know we know it, but then when you look at what are the ramifications of that? And I do think social anxiety is a portion of that. And I do think there's this sense of, I need to be in control. I also think for a lot of kids, there is a sensory overload, even if it's not social anxiety, it's just a jangling to the nervous system of like being in crowds. And again, those first couple of years are so formative because that's what we get used to, right? So their nervous system might be set at like slow, small groups, limited interactions, you know? But remember too, we weren't taking our kids to the fucking grocery store. We weren't going out and running errands. So there's also all these other things that are compounding, right? Like maybe in lockdown, you went out to the beach once in a while, but now you're going to the grocery store, to the gas station, picking the child up from daycare. So we went from this very slow pace for a couple of years to this like accelerated pace. And even if you've been back to normal life for a while now, remember that there were some formative years in there where your child was in a lockdown situation or a, even just a slower, smaller crowd pace. So the hoarding could be that. And so what you might want to do is ease into these situations in which your child looks like they are struggling for control. Sharing. There might be too much sharing. And check yourself, because if you're asking your child to share at home, remember, they're probably being asked to share at preschool or daycare. Now, after that, you go to a park and they have to share. There may be too much sharing going on. I am a huge proponent of not sharing. Like, you know, or you're not, yeah, not sharing. (laughs) So there's ways to break down not sharing. You know, the child doesn't get to hog the thing, but I think too many times we rush to make the child share when out and about, because it's that out loud parenting thing is you want to seem like you're a good magnanimous person. So you're like, no, 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 you're going to share that toy. No, it should be like, why don't you let him know when you're done with that and let the child run their course. So I just think it's really obnoxious. Like if I'm doing something and you ask me to stop because you set a timer and give the thing I'm doing over to somebody else, I don't know. I'd be pretty annoyed with you. (laughs) So check in and see if there's just too much sharing. Now, 
One of the great things when you're at home and you're going to have people over is you can say, hey, listen, let's go through your room and let's look at the things that you don't feel like sharing today. And I would pick, you know, obviously not the whole room, but you could even say like, do you not want anybody in your room? We can close the door and we can make sure everybody stays in the living room. Why don't we take out the toys that we want to share with our friends who are coming over? And you can manage that and let the child have some things in their room that that nobody else is going to touch or even close the door, you know, so they might be, they just might be territorial. Now, if you are out in the world, you might say, why don't you bring three toys in your backpack that we can bring that are not shareable, that they are yours and you're not going to share it. Now, be aware that other parents are going to have opinions about this. You know, if your kid is playing with something that is not shareable, you might have to advocate for your kid. But you know, generally speaking, I used to like to just keep, you know, hey, if we're going to the playground, everything's everybody's. But if your child is struggling with this, we do want to give them a little bit of a bridge. And then when you're at home, I would just be super clear. Things like have different designated, hey, listen, anything in the living room can be played with by anybody. If you want something special in your room that only you can play with and your little brother can't touch, Put it in your room and we'll close the door. Or again, if you've created a space, put it in your space and it can't be touched. But everything else right now is for everybody. And again, guys, like everything, this isn't a one and done. Don't expect you to, you can say this in the kindest, most gentle parenting voice ever. And uh, it doesn't mean your kid's going to listen. It's going to take work and it's going to take repetition. But those are the things that you can do to I think first, the very first thing when we have an issue like this is understanding where the behavior comes from and that will lead you, you know, I just gave a couple of tips and tricks that will lead you down a really good path. All right. Next subject I really wanted to talk about today was capacity. So my friend Jen brought this word to my attention. She had seen it. Another mom had mentioned it on uh, Instagram and we went back and forth for hours about the word capacity. (laughs) So Capacity, the Webster definition is the maximum amount that something can contain. A second definition is the amount that something can produce. Yes. I just went down a little rabbit hole because I was like, I wonder, I like etymology and I was wondering where the word came from. And it came, captain is the Greek and to swallow or gulp down, which I thought was interesting. If we look at I'm going down the path of what capacity you have as a parent, (laughs) in case you didn't guess. But to swallow or gulp down, I thought was an interesting. Cope, also Greek, to handle. Latin, capax, the ability to hold much. Sanskrit, kapati, means two handfuls. And capayeri is Latin, to grasp or to be large enough for. And I thought those were really interesting definitions of, the, of where the word capacity has originated from. The maximum amount that something can contain. So I've talked about this using other analogies. And one of the things I kept saying at the beginning of the pandemic, again, back in March of 2020, was, dude, slow your roll because you are like a battery. You're like a phone battery but I took away all your charges. (laughs) You had no chargers available. So you had to like think of how to extend your battery life, right? And I do like thinking of our energy level, our emotional container, what we have available to us at any given time for our emotional container. Yeah, I think that's the word I'm looking for, right? 
And it's so funny because I just bought a, uh, I needed a new fitness watch. And I generally try to stay away from like the data that those things give you because I can get obsessed with numbers, but I needed a new heart rate monitor. I do heart rate training. And so I needed a fancy watch because unfortunately the only watches that do an alert, I, I need an alert for the low and the high end of my heart rate that I've targeted. And that requires a fancy watch that comes with all these things that I don't need, but that's what happened. So I got a new Garmin Forerunner. And it tells me my body battery. And I think it's wrong because first of all, it says my stress level is very high, which my stress level is not very high. I think I just move fast throughout the day, (laughs) but it has my watch. uh, It has my body battery and supposedly it like tracks sleep. And I don't know all these metrics that when you should rest, when you should recover, when you should slow down. And it's interesting because my battery is, it's wrong. Like days that I feel fully well-rested and rejuvenated, the battery will show that it's it's drained and, and and the opposite. So it's an interesting way to think about it though, regardless if I'm paying attention to the watch metrics, is how's my battery today? A battery might be your physical health. Like how is my battery? Do I need a nap? Am I depleted? Is it on the red zone or is it fully charged? And I think that might actually be like a really cool way to think about your sleep and your rest. And am I feeling, we should unless you have a newborn, you should be feeling like rejuvenated by sleep. You know, that first year of life just sucks. But as you move into fuller nights of sleep with the child, you should be getting really good sleep. And you know how much I talk about sleep. But capacity, it's sort of a different idea. And it's about emotional states. Like where is, what's my capacity to hold? And I wanted to bring up a few areas of capacity. I just want to open the dialogue, I guess, like where you can find when your capacity is realistic and open and you have the capacity to deal with more or the capacity right now to not deal with so much. And so there's like, there's cataclysmic capacity. And, you know, Jen and I were talking about, you know, Ukrainian families fleeing, you know, and how we don't feel like we have that capacity, but of course we do. We have that capacity if we were in it. You know, the reason we don't have that capacity in our heads right now is because our houses aren't being bombed. Should our houses start to get bombed, we would have that capacity, just like we would have the capacity to lift a car to save our child, right? Those are those like huge cataclysmic things that change our capacity. But on a daily basis, what do you have the capacity to hold in your heart in your soul, not just your physical state, but your mental state, your emotional state, where is your capacity? And so I wanted to give you a couple of things to think about. These are the things that I am thinking about and sort of a springboard for you guys. This is not one of those like definitive be all to end all things, which I have very few vocal about it, but we have like a wide lens, right? A wide lens of the world. What is your capacity? Look, we bounced out of a fucking pandemic into shades of World War III. That is no break for the nervous system. That is no break for the fear. So what is your capacity with that? And for me, my capacity is limited. I listen to my favorite news source is called Breaking Points with Crystal and Sagar. They have a podcast and a YouTube channel. She's on the left. He's on the right. They're both very close to the center. And I feel like they give some of the most unbiased news out there. 
So I, my capacity, I can't handle the fear mongering in all mainstream media, left, right, center, anything coming out of the legacy media companies are scrambling for clicks and it's fear mongering. So I can't handle that. So I listen to Crystal and Sagra in the morning. They do a daily program. (laughs) I get the news. I get the Associated Press delivered to my email. I have a couple of journalists I follow on Substack. I get those in the email and that's it. I kind of do a rundown. Where are we at? And that's all I can handle. I have changed my Instagram feed to not get any sort of news through my channels because it's all clickbaity and it just, it taps into my vagus nerve. It taps into my fear. It taps into my worry. And I get very, very out of the present moment. So that is my capacity. I encourage you, you don't have to do what I do. You don't have to like what I do, but I encourage you to see things through that lens. What's your worldview capacity? It can feel like we need to stay up on every single thing, but it can also super fuck up our nervous systems, which then overflows into everything. Our personal health, our parenting, our relationships. So take what you can handle and it's okay. And I know it can feel like I need to know everything that's going on these poor families, but I want to remind you that 20 years ago, we barely had any idea. A hundred years ago, we had no idea what was going on in the planet and we managed. And I'm not saying that we should be uninformed, but we have to always mitigate staying informed with staying sane. Yes. And knowing what you personally can handle. I think with our capacity, as far as relationships, right, we can go daily, we can go weekly, we can go monthly, right? And so one of the things that we look at is what's your capacity today? One of the things I'm running into is parents having a very low capacity for distress tolerance. So their kid is melting down or their kid is unhappy or bored and the parents are like, I have to fix this. I have to fix this, right? It's so funny. I, I see this again and again and again. Again, in the gentle parenting camp, I want my kid to know that all feelings are good, all feelings are safe, except that one, (laughs) right? Where your child's having big emotions and you rush to fix it. Uh, And this is where I have tiny dictators across the board. Every parenting family that I am working with for parent coaching is dealing with tiny dictators. And when you're dealing with a tiny dictator, it means you're letting the child dictate because you're afraid of the fallout. And being afraid of the fallout might mean that, you know, sometimes it's it's a logistics problem. You got a baby and the baby's trying to sleep. And so you give in to the child so the child doesn't scream and wake up the baby, right? That can happen. But largely, we think we want to be cool with all emotions, but we can't handle it. So we try to fix. Like if your kid is being difficult at dinner about eating, we have no distress tolerance for that. So we say, okay, go ahead, have the cupcake or go ahead, only eat chicken nuggets, right? We have no distress tolerance. That's the capacity. And some of it is that we're too drained to deal. So the reason why you get into shit trouble with with food at the end of the day is because everybody's drained and you don't have that capacity for that distress tolerance. So when you look at your daily, you look at your weekly capacity, right? What you can hold. And here's a really interesting thing. Pascal and I are bow hunters. And part of 
hunting is conserving, believe it or not. There's uh, people misunderstand hunting by a lot, but the land has a capacity. There has a carrying capacity. Okay. And what that means is the land can only carry so much. And if the animals get over the carrying capacity, they have to be managed. Yeah. Because otherwise they're going to die horrible deaths. They will die of starvation. When deer die of starvation, the instinct to chew is still there. So they grind down their teeth till they have nothing left, till their teeth are dust. So it's a terrible way to die, starvation. They might freeze. They might become easier for prey. No animal in the wild dies a peaceful death. So the Department of Environmental Management, the DEM, wherever you are, is in charge of that. It's what can the land support? Now, I'm in New England, so the land is more congested, right? So it can't support as many. So those animals, they're constantly monitoring to make sure that the carrying capacity of the land can handle the amount of animals on it and the ecosystems within it, right? And so the earth has a carrying capacity. Oh my God, they're projected in like 30 years, like the amount of humans on earth is going to, you know, supersede the earth's carrying capacity is. So it's just an interesting way to, to to know that that exists in nature, and so it exists in us. What can your land carry? What can your inner landscape carry? What is your carrying capacity? And so if you are constantly drained, that is something we want to look at. And again, I, I'm not saying any uh, earth-shattering news to you guys. I know that. We've talked about this in all kinds of forms, but I always think it's worth looking at it through a different lens because it makes more sense. So you can look at your day and say, wow, my carrying capacity today is at an all-time low. Now you want to look and is this happening every single day? Are you looking and you say, wow, that week went by. I have no carrying capacity for any big anything for a week, for a month, then you have to look and say, why? What's wrong with my landscape? Does my landscape need to be replenished, right? And this holds true in nature. It's so interesting to me because, excuse me, we have monocropping right now. Monocropping strips the soil. Regenerative farming is the way to go, which is like this whole ecosystem. These other factors that regenerate the soil and make the land better and able to carry more. But again, if we look inward, that's our inner landscape, right? It's not just one thing that replenishes our emotional soil. It's everything. It's eating well. It's exercise. It's getting outside. It's sunlight. It's um, good relationships, a good relationship with your partner, with your spouse, with your kids, right? So all of these things are our own ecosystem. And so you want to look at your personal landscape carrying capacity. And so if you find it's okay to be drained once in a while, it's okay to not have a large carrying capacity once in a while, but we do have to like flex that, make sure that soil inside is really rich because it's going to expand and contract, right? So what's your carrying capacity with friends? Do you have friends that are draining you? Do you have friends that understand when you have a lower capacity? So I think of carrying capacity as like this really kind of um, malleable thing where it, it can narrow and contract. So for example, I want to I want to give you a real life example. My mom had a stroke 4 nights ago. It was I think I can talk about it without crying. Um it was very sketchy for 24 hours. She's going to be okay in the sense that she's going to live. But 
her speech and her capacity, well, her the capacity, there's that word again, her speech and her ability to form sentences is horrific and her movement is better, but not great. And one of the things that happened is my stepdad, God love him, cannot take in medical information. He's old school guy. He's pretty bad at using all the words. (laughs) He was the only one who was allowed to see her for the first couple of days. And he was like reporting, oh, she's doing good. She's doing better. So by the time I could go in to see her, he was saying her words were slurred. So that's what I anticipated. And what ended up happening is she could not form sentences and she could not converse. So it was like a huge kick to my emotional capacity, (laughs) to my emotional landscape. So what ended up happening is I went inward and I don't usually do that. For me, I'm the kind of person who's very emotional and the way I handle big emotions is I dispel it. So I am one of those people. I love to get support on social media. I love to call all my friends, let them know, get people praying, get people thinking about my mom. Cause I always feel like even strangers praying for my mom, all that energy counts and it goes towards her. Like if I'm going to cry about something, I like to cry to every single person, get it out. And then it dissipates it for me. And I, I know it's not fair to dump that on one person. So what I've learned in my life throughout all my struggles and my big emotions is The more I can dissipate the emotion amongst people, I don't dump on any one person. I don't expect any one person to hold it. That's normally how I work. And for whatever reason, this with my mom made me go really, really inward. I think because it changed her. We're really looking at quality of life. We're looking at change of personality. And I could just see, okay, maybe I will cry. She's aware of what's happening, so her eyes look really wild because I can see her trapped in her own body and in her own head. And I think that is the most, it makes me cry for her, but I think it's also a huge fear of mine. So it's super emotional. And so I instantly just realized my capacity for this week. And so one of the things was I had a couple of interviews scheduled for the podcast and I contacted those people and I was like, I just need a, you know, I'm a little behind. And it was so great because the people I'm interviewing are moms and they were like, "Uh uh-uh, no, we're rescheduling. I am not showing up for this podcast. No, reschedule, call, you know, everybody was really gracious, appointments. And so that was really nice. It didn't feel right to share on social media and ask for prayers. It did not feel right there, I even have certain friends. I just haven't told a lot of people because I, the well wishing is crushing me. The, oh, it'll be fine. She's strong. That's crushing me. So I just, I went really inward and I just really recognized what my capacity was for this particular scenario. And it's been so great because normally I'm, I process at the speed of light and I'm not. I'm I'm really taking my time and that's a huge change for me. But one thing I'm really grateful for is in talking about all of this with you guys. I feel like you guys have supported me in my personal life because I'm like, right, I can take my time just like I would tell you if you were working with me. <laughs> so I was able to like parent myself and coach myself. I guess the moral of the story is it's okay to recognize in a moment that your capacity is different right now. What you might have been able to hold 
in these situations, my mom's had many medical things go wrong. And I am, I'm just very pragmatic. As you guys know, I'm, I'm a doer. I'm a fixer. I am an organizer. I really should be a life coach instead of a parent coach. Cause like I can see, I can see everything and I know how to organize and make everything great. And so like when these things happen, I take with my mom, I usually take on the phone tree. I usually take on managing schedules, managing my dad, managing meals. And this time I let my sister-in-law do it. And I was like, I can't. And I'm processing. And it's great because I'm processing my mom. It's not my sister-in-law's mom. It's her mother-in-law. My sister-in-law loves my mom, but she recognizes too that it's a different thing. So she's taking on all those things. And so it's just this time where I, in a flash, could recognize my capacity. And I was able to like I was able to run with it and I was able to just bow out, ask for help, but also say my truth, which is I can't handle all these things that I normally handle. Somebody else can do it now. And that was a relief. And guess what? Nobody died. It's awesome. So I know those of you who are listening probably are the person usually like that. So it was just a really great recognition of my capacity and recognizing that you don't always have to have a large carrying capacity. Sometimes you can contract it a little bit. And so knowing that can help you stay replenished and help you stay present because the minute we disengage from our kids, especially at this tender age, they sense it, their behavior kicks in, and then you end up with a clusterfuck because of, you know, it's all just, it's a, it's, it's dominoes and it's all just falling apart. I did want to bring up another capacity, which is your capacity for conflict, particularly with your spouse or with your partner and and with friends as well. Conflict happens. I think I've mentioned this before. When I go out on a, you know, when I go on a date pretty quickly, if there's a second or third date, I quickly jump to like, how do you handle conflict? Because love is easy when it's good. When the sex is good when it's new, when it's juicy, when it's fun, when you're both paying attention, love is super easy. That's not the hard fucking part of love. Love in conflict is the hard part, right? And same thing with friendships. When it's easy, it's great, right? But there's always going to be conflict. So how do you handle conflict? And one of the things I have always noticed is I have zero capacity for conflict after 8 p.m. So I never start big conversations. I will never text somebody with what needs to be talked about. I will never start a conversation after 8 p.m. After 8 p.m. is my nervous system's chilling out. I am going to go to bed soon. I don't discuss big issues, which is interesting because, and I'm just realizing this as I'm saying it, is I have always chosen men and I have always chosen friendships for whom they want to get into conflict at night. And I'm like, nope. And every time I allow it to happen, I regret it because I don't have the capacity. I don't have the capacity to handle it. I don't have the capacity to think straight. I don't have the capacity to straighten my thoughts and to process quickly. And usually neither does the other person. So it puts you in this like weakened position. So I wanted to bring that up because I have been talking about marriage, the umbrella of the family, and that you have to carve this time. And a lot of times for parents, especially of toddlers and and newborns, that time is at night. And so be aware of your capacity and be able to communicate that to your partner, which is like, 
we need to go out to breakfast on Saturday morning and have your mom watch the kids. I need to talk about this stuff when I'm fresh, when I'm not emotional, when I can think clearly and I can ask for time when I need it, right? And so one of the things I'm learning in relationship personally is I, because of my history, because of my childhood wounds, nighttime can be really, really scary. So I like to go to bed settled. So if I have a conflict even earlier in the day, I want it settled. And so I am relentless with the other person and I don't give them the space, the breathing room that they need because my capacity is limited. I need this fixed. I find it very difficult to have a conflict, not resolve it. And then especially you got to go to like a party with your partner and, and be affectionate and like, That has always been a struggle for me. So that's something I'm working on is really recognizing the other person's capacity and like, okay, I don't need to like hammer through this issue so that I feel settled when the person in front of me doesn't have that caring capacity to handle that. Do you know what I'm saying? So when you're in a relationship, there's two people and there's a give and take. So it has to be not just what your capacity is, but look at your partner or your friend and say, what's happening for them right now? Are they shutting down? If a person shuts down, they don't have the capacity. So what do you do about that? And how do you learn to recognize that? And if it's a constant thing, when does the person shut down? How do they shut down? To generalize, I think men shut down faster than women. And I think also women are usually more relentless than men. So I don't think I'm unusual in my quality of being relentless. And I often hear dads And men, male friends, old partners of mine, they get the sensation that women are talking at them. So we tend to go in and we're like, and and we know our whole process and we know our whole, sorry, that noise. I just did a noise that makes Maverick bark, that tongue roll. Mav, shh. It's okay. It's just mommy. He was being so quiet too. (laughs) So anyway, it's recognizing that sometimes we can steamroll them and we can... Hold on, guys. Let me let him out. That was so my fault. I'm such a douchebag. He was asleep. I took him for a four-mile walk. I gave him some CBD cookies, and he was all set for this podcast, and then I had to make that sound and wake him up. (laughs) Sorry about that. But yeah, when you're with your partner, you know, knowing their capacity and, and being aware of that as well as your own. So that is actually all I really had to say about capacity. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I think it's, again, this was just to to spark some dialogue, to think of it in a different way and to think of like, for me, I'm really actually seeing my emotional landscape as um kind of like a balloon that can be blown up. You know, it, it feels very malleable, very flexible. And like, oh, like last night, I just had an amazing night's sleep after a night of poor sleep. And I woke up today and I was like, holy shit, I can handle it all. I could do everything today. And my capacity just got like super blown up and super big. Whereas before, yesterday, I was so closed down. I managed to only talk to one person. I mean, I worked, I worked with my clients, but as far as personal, I just couldn't talk about my mom. I couldn't really feel all the feelings. I just felt very constricted and that's okay. And then after a glorious night's sleep, I I went to bed at like, eight o'clock and I slept right till five and it was amazing. And so again, I recharged a physical part of my landscape and now my emotional capacity is so much bigger. All right. I'm going to log off now. You guys, as always, I appreciate you. I appreciate your patronage, your feedback, your questions. I love these dialogues. I love you guys. As always, rock on. 
Okay, bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.